evening. Thanks for coming. Um, we are now at, um, I think it's class number nine of uh, You Versus Yourself. Uh, we are grappling with the human condition and the Jewish particularly the Jewish psyche. And uh, the, we're trying to get a better grip and an understanding on, our, on ourselves, on our um, extreme extremities of and, and, uh, and contradiction, the extreme contradictions that we experience in our lives. Moments of intense, sublime, spirituality, selflessness, idealism, and moments of real lowly, animalistic, egocentric, um, uh, desires, wants, actions, activities, or whatever. So that we're, we, how can it all be one person? How can this all be? And as we learned in previous classes, that uh, this is as a result of the human psyche and the Jewish psyche made up of two souls. Uh, one soul is a holy soul, a godly soul. Um, and another soul is a soul, a soul of darkness, a soul of klipa, a soul of unholiness. A soul that comes from the shell elements that conceal God. And our life is a, our, our psychological makeup and our experience is, is a, comes as a, as a mixture of these two souls as they unite to form one, one human being. And our experiences differ very drastically depending on which element within us, which soul is, the, is at that moment experienced in our, has made its way into our conscious thoughts. So we can wake up in the morning and we can be operating from our godly soul in, from in early morning and have these strong spiritual aspirations, desires and wants. And by the time we get to noontime, it's kind of a mixture of godly and animal mixed together. The godly, the, the, these spiritual yearnings and desires and, and ambitions are weakened a lot and have been overtaken by strong animalistic cravings. And as the day wears, wears on, and the time you get to the evening, it's the animal soul that is the, the type of desires and wants and things are all, all self-centered. And the, and the godly soul and the higher aspirations have disappeared, dissipated. And because in the course of the day, one has paid attention and, uh, and uh, pampered the animal soul, given what it wants, so it has expanded, it has inflated, and the godly soul has, has been neglected, so it, it, it shriveled up and went into, the, went into hiding. So that's, that's where the human being stands. It's, a, it's, the, it's the various different points of from where we are, from where we're thinking, from where we're operating from. Now, we were trying to get a better understanding of these two souls, exploring their nature, their because the idea is that each of these souls is an entire personality, a whole being. The soul, the godly soul, the animal soul, they have an entire infant structure that makes them a full-fledged being. And they share one body, but they're two separate entities. So we were learning, and, and in the last few classes, we were exploring the um, the, uh, the, the, the structure of the godly soul and what type of soul it is. So we learned that the godly soul is made up of, we can say, two dimensions that make up the, the, the powers of the soul. There is the internal powers, the internal human being, and there is the external human being. The internal human being is um, the intellectual and emotional realm of the human being. There's 10 faculties of the soul that make up the inner human being. And then there is the external human being, which means the element, the element of expression. 
There is who you are and how you express yourself. The expression are called the garments of the soul. And they are the three powers of thought, speech, and action. It's through them that one express that, 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 that the soul expresses itself to the outside. So we had elaborate discussion of the difference and the, of these three and what and how we can differentiate the garments from the powers of the soul. And all this was done in the earlier classes. Now, being that as mentioned also in the past classes, that the soul is a soul, it's a holy soul, a godly soul. So all of its all of its experiences and all of its faculties and all of its powers and every element of it is dedicated and devoted to God. So the human being on this level or this neshama, this soul, is in pursuit of godliness. So all of its intelligent energy, all of its intellect or all of its emotions are driven towards God. So its, its quest for knowledge, its curiosity, which is of course an element that is within the intelligence of the person is seeking to know God and the emotions are emotions relating to God. Primarily it's love for Hashem and it's awe and fear of God and all the other emotions which are the offshoots of these emotions. Then there is the thought, speech and action which are the expressions of the soul. The soul is not going to express anything that it isn't itself. If this soul only has one reality and is obsessed with God, and a, God, and a relationship with God, so we understand that all of its expressions, all thought, speech, and action emanating from this soul is going to be in the context of its relationship with God. So what kind of thoughts is it going to generate? Thoughts pertaining to Hashem and words, conversations that are increasing its relationship with God and also actions that are bringing it closer to God. Specifically, it's the thought, speech, and action of Torah and mitzvahs. Because the performance, the study of Torah and the performance of mitzvahs are performed in the garments of the soul. Because when you are engaged in a mitzvah or studying Torah, you are either thinking something holy, speaking something holy, or doing something holy. That's where the mitzvah realm is. The mitzvah realm lies in our behavior. So all of Torah and mitzvahs are the garments of the soul, are performed by the garments. So we can say that the, that the, 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 um, the soul garbs itself in Torah and mitzvah. Because it, the neshama, because another very important thing about the garments, when we call them garments, it's, it's, the garment uh, analogy is very, is very accurate. It's not only that to, el to stress that it's not the soul itself, it's an outside thing. It's also to express the union of the soul with those garments. When a person has a garment, the garment isn't you, but you dress yourself in that garment. The soul dresses itself in the garments of thought, speech, and action. So if the thought, speech, and action is thoughts of Torah and actions of mitzvahs, it means that the soul itself, which as we said earlier, the soul itself are the ten powers of the soul. They are enclosed, enveloped, and dressed in, in the garment. So it's not only producing these garments, it's also present within the garment. So as we mentioned last week, when you're thinking Torah, in the garment of thought, which is, the, which is the, where, where Torah study is, is performed, so in that, in that garment, it's not, see, it's not just thought. Your intellect is invested because you're understanding what you're saying. It's not because if you just it's just thought, it's just the words, then it's not really studying. To study means to grasp, to understand, to, to, to conceive the ideas. So the mind is invested in that in that thought. So you put yourself in that thought. In mitzvah observance, in the performance of mitzvahs, over here you're not investing your intelligence or the intelligence of the soul is not being vested that much in the performance of a mitzvah because the mitzvah observance doesn't necessitate the investment of the mind, of the intellect. You're doing something. You're, 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 it's not, it, it, it doesn't require a, a deep uh, um, uh, 
grasp and understanding like when you're, when you're studying, when you're doing a mitzvah, you're giving tzedakah. You don't have to have your intellect invested in that act. But what part of your soul is invested in that act? Well, a lower part of the soul. Not the intellect, but the emotions. Because the emotions are garbed in the performance of a mitzvah. Why, is, why are our emotions invested in the performance of mitzvahs? That is because the correct way, the right way, the way God intended it, is that when we do a mitzvah, we do them not just as an act, we do them in the context of a relationship. We, as a human being, we as a soul, or we as a human being, are drawing close to God. How do we fulfill, how do we draw close to God? By doing God's mitzvahs. What is um, stimulating us? What is, ex what is driving us to connect? It's our emotion. It's because we love God. So the real way of doing a mitzvah is doing a mitzvah out of love. Because the content of the mitzvah is dveikos and Hashem, is to cleave to God. And the way to cleave to God is by performing a mitzvah. So when the neshama, as we learned in earlier classes, the soul that has a powerful, powerful, indescribable passion to connect to God, it's thirsting and it's longing to reach for the infinite light. It's trying to reach for God. How will it fulfill? How will it quench its thirst? The soul quenches its thirst only now when I will do a mitzvah, that's when I'm making the connection. Because as mentioned last week, as much as a person will try to reach, to connect to God by their own devices, by their own, by their own ideas, by singing a song for God, or doing a beautiful dance to express their love for God, or writing poetry that expresses their admiration for this for awesome God. It's nice, it's beautiful, but it's not really achieving a connection to God Himself. It's appreciating godliness, but it's not really making a connection to God themselves. And the reason for that is because God is infinite, infinitely high, higher beyond our ideas, beyond our, our, our feelings and our, our understanding. So there is a, so therefore there is a, as we mentioned last, there is an ocean. There is an unbridgeable ocean, a gap, a separation, which makes God completely unreachable. There isn't any way to reach Hashem. There is only, except for one way. And that is by allowing, by following God's instructions of how to connect to Him. When God tells us that when you take leather, the leather straps of your tefillin and you wrap them around your arms and your head, or when you're giving a dollar to a poor person, or to tzedakah, any other tzedakah, or you're giving, or you're uh, doing uh, any mitzvah, like, like uh, shaking the four species of, of plants on, on, on sukkahs. When you do that, that is meaningful to me. God says that, 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 that is important to me. You do that and I will connect to you. So here God is bridging that gap. He is making the connection. So a soul that is burning up with desire to connect to God sees that there is no other way but the performance of the mitzvah. So all their love and all their passion pours into the mitzvah. That's the correct way of doing a mitzvah. As mentioned above, there are possible other ways of doing mitzvahs. You can do the mitzvahs just to, uh, for your own benefit. You can do the mitzvah because you want to live a good life and you recognize that probably if this is God's, if this is God's instructions of how to live life, then this is probably the healthiest way to live, so it's good. And it's going to bring all kinds of blessings and, and, and material blessings and the like in my life. Or a person can live even with a higher desire I want to do these things so I will experience eternal bliss and ecstasy in the world to come. That's all good, but that's not the true way of doing a mitzvah. That's more of an immature way of doing the mitzvahs. That's not the truth. And that's not necessarily generated by the neshama. That is, that is, that could be coming from the animal self-enhancing part of the person where you're interested only within, within yourself. And even if you're looking for a spiritual elevation and a spiritual high, it's still about you. That's not what the soul is all about. The soul is seeking truth. It's seeking God. And so, and 
And again, the fulfillment and the reaching for God can only come when I'm doing a mitzvah. So that's, so in the positive performance of mitzvahs, of the 248 mitzvahs, we connect to God. Now, God gave us 248 mitzvahs because the connection to God that comes through the performance of mitzvahs is thorough, it's complete. We connect, we synchronize every element of our soul, every element of our being to God through the performance of the mitzvahs. Because our soul, as we made up, we said earlier, is made up of ten powers. But that's in general. If you break it down into the subdivisions or the little details and the nuances of the soul, just like the body has 248 limbs, the soul has 248 aspects and powers to the neshama. And through the 248 uh, mitzvahs, in every mitzvah, another aspect of our soul is enveloped in the mitzvah and thereby forging a true connection and a true bond with Hashem. But the Zohar tells us something really interesting, that the 248 mitzvahs are corresponding to the 248 limbs of the human being, but it's also called the 248 limbs of God. Ramach Evarim de Malka. 248 limbs of God. Because it's, 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 it's not only our 248 limbs, we are matching, we are plugging in our, our faculties of our soul to, to the divine faculties. And Hashem garbs himself in what we might call the, the body of mitzvahs in a, in, a, in, a, in a form of a, in a human form, which is the Torah is called Adam, is called man. And by God projecting himself through that body of the 248 mitzvahs, we are able to connect to him. When God, if God would not convey himself through those organs and through those limbs, it would be impossible for us to make a connection to God. Because just like a human being's, the soul of a human being expresses itself through their body. How do we, how do we know, how do we know a human being? How do we know a person? We know a person through seeing their body and see what, how, what, the, the, for example, when a person is talking, so we get to know their ideas. And, that, and, and speech is coming through their mouth. So the ideas, their feelings and the like is coming through their, 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 their speech. Or it's coming through their facial expressions. It's coming through their eyes and the like. We get to know of a person's talents, artistic talents, through their, through their hands, through their fingers, through their feet, or other, other, other things that a person... So the souls, the soul can be an extreme, this can be a, a person that is so enriched and so powerful, if there is no body to express it, then no one can connect to it. Even though the soul has all these powers, but it's not coming to fruition. That's why if a person, you know, God forbid when a soul leaves this world and a person passes on, so then there isn't any more that tangible connection. There's a connection, but not a tangible connection. Because we don't have the body anymore through which that soul will communicate. We have memories of that person. And of course, we have to create the body for that person by doing things uh, that, uh, in continuing the life of that human being. But we're creating sort of that body that they had on their own. So they needs a body in order to express itself in, in, in our reality. God too. In order for God to find expression in our world, that we can link ourselves to Him, attach ourselves to Him, must come through a body. What is the body of God? The 248 mitzvahs, this is the way through which God gives us Himself. He gives us all of His talents. He gives us His personality. He gives us everything about Him. And He says, connect yourself to Me through the performance of the mitzvahs. So here we have limb to limb, organ to organ. The soul and God are completely embrace each other, enveloped in each other when we are doing, when, as we are performing the mitzvah. So here we understand why it's the love and the, and the desire to get close to God that is driving the, 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 the performance of the mitzvahs. And the love itself is invested in the mitzvah itself. Now, this was a lot about the discussion of last week. The, on the other hand, we mentioned that it's the fear of God 
which is the other primary emotion that is within the soul, the fear and awe of God, which is the source and the power behind the 365 prohibitions. In other words, what gets us to refrain from doing a sin, something that is not approved of by God, is not the love that as much as it is the fear. Here the other primary emotion comes into play, and that emotion and that feeling is enclosed in the performance, in the avoidance of sinning. Because when a person wants to do something that God doesn't, God is, that is in violation of one of the commandments, how do you restrain yourself? If you really want to, if you really like doing it, if it's something that, 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 that uh, you've, you, you, you feel you're going to benefit from in some way, but God says, I don't want you to do it, well, how does a person hold himself back? Well, the right way of doing it is through fear of God. You could refrain from sinning without the emotion of fear. And that is, if children are trained well, so you've been, as a little child, you've grown up with a natural, a natural restraint that you don't do certain things. This is muktzah on Shabbos. The person doesn't have to be in any godly state of mind with any godly awareness and still not move muktzah on Shabbos. Because from when you're little, from when you're just one and two, or two, one years old, two years old, it was unheard of moving muktzah. Muktzah, you don't touch muktzah. So you can go on and live in, into your adulthood just with that natural feeling, not kosher. Who would think of eating not kosher? It's not kosher, it's muktzah, I'm not allowed it's, it's just pre-programmed into our psyche. A person could avoid sinning generally in that way. But that's not called the real observance of the low say. The real observance of the low say is when you have an element of fear in, the, in it. There is, there is a deeper element in it. And that's when even the non-doing gets life. It's not, you can not do and you cannot do. The not doing also has an energy. You jump back from the, even the thought, oh, that's a sin, that's against God's will, I cannot do that. What's the content of the fear? What is the, the, the idea? What are you afraid? So it's not a fear of punishment. A fear of punishment is not the type of fear that the soul has. Because the, the, feel, the, feel, the fear of punishment is again self-centered. It's about I will get punished. So it's similar to, as we said before, I am doing the mitzvahs because I know if I do the mitzvahs, I will, this is good for me and, and will lead me to good things. So again, it's geared upon you. It's not, in the, it's not in the context of the relationship. So what are we talking about fear? The fear over here is a fear of rebellion. I'm afraid of God. I feel the soul feels God. It senses the greatness of God. He is such an awesome being, I cannot rebel against him and, and, and defy his will. Not because he will punish me. When you're standing in front of an awesome king, a mighty ruler, and you refrain from doing something that will upset him, not because you're afraid he will punish you. He could punish you, but that's not why you're not doing it. You're not doing it because you know he's looking at you. You're not going to upset him. You're not going to do it because you're afraid. You're afraid to be of disappointment to him and act against his will. So that's the fear which a Jew is supposed to have. We spoke last night in the class continuously, Shavisi Hashem, the Negdi Samed, the Hashem is upon us, watching over us and expecting us to obey His commandments and we cannot rebel against it. A deeper fear, he says, there is a deeper fear. Aside from the fear of rebelling against God, there can be one that is coming from a deeper appreciation of the relationship. I am refraining from sin because I know I am hurting God when I am sinning. I am causing God, I'm disappointing Him. And the reason why God is being disappointed and literally being hurt by me doing something that is against His will is because I am ruining the, 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 uh, the world, I am destroying the creation, and, and God wants the creation so much, God desires the world and He has a plan for the creation, and I am throwing the creation off course. And what I am doing is, I am causing that the negative elements in the creation, that which stand in opposition to God, that which are waging war against Him, I am increasing their power. I am strengthening them. 
and therefore I am ashamed. I am ashamed, I am ashamed of doing something and, and supporting God's enemies, supporting someone that God hates. And that brings a deep, deep shame. I cannot do that. I'm ashamed of, of, of bringing that. It's like you have a friend. You have a friend, a good friend, or someone you respect, or just a person that you know and that you admire or whatever. And that person, you find out there is someone who came into town who wants to cause harm, who is seeking to harm your relative, your friend, this person you have a relationship. He wants to hurt and harm his family, his children, or he wants to rob him, or he wants to get even with him in any other way and cause him some kind of a pain. And how ashamed would you be? How uncomfortable would you be if your friend or relative would find out that you gave lodging for that person for the night? or you gave them to, uh, to eat and invited this person in who is here to harm your good friend and is here to harm that person and you provided them with a meal. You were the one, not only that, they asked, you provided them with funding. You gave them money for the enemy, for the person who was going to hurt someone, this person that's dear to you. And if they find out, first of all, you'd be ashamed even thinking of it. but. If you know that your relative, your friend, will, knows about it, how ashamed are you of yourself of having been supportive of someone who is a, 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 an enemy? You feel like, I'm ashamed that I have stabbed you in the back. It's very, very deep shame. The 365 prohibitions are, are prohibitions in the sense if, God forbid, we violate one of these prohibitions, we are giving strength, we are giving power to that which is at war with God, that which stands in opposition to Hashem. Hashem created the, the world, and He created forces of darkness, forces of evil, in order to make the, the, the life challenging, so that all what which, which we achieve in this world is meaningful, there has to be a challenge. Who provides the challenge? The forces that are anti-God, anti-holiness, these are, uh, this is what makes life challenging. But these are the enemies of holiness, it's the enemies of God. Now God gives them a certain amount of life, a certain amount of energy, because it's in His plan. He has them in the budget. He, when He created the world, He made a budget. And He budgeted for these forces. He supports them, He gives them life, He gives them energy. But God only gives them a minimal energy, a little bit life to exist with as much as they can exist. However, every sin that a person does is a, is a manner in which we increase, God forbid, the person is increasing the forces of the unholy, giving them extra vitality, giving them extra energy. The 365, the sages are so accurate with what they teach us. The 365 uh, prohibitions are called 365 blood vessels. They are called 365 arteries because they, they correspond to, as the sages say, the 365 arteries or blood vessels or veins where the blood flows. Now, what is the purpose of the vein? The purpose of the vein is it's a channel with the blood and the blood carries life. And it keeps the blood pure, clean, and it directs the blood to the limbs and the organs. It must flow through the veins. So it's, it's responsible of getting the blood where the blood needs to get. Now, if God forbid, there is some kind of a punctuation in one of these arteries, there is a cut, a bruise, a wound, so that will cause the blood to leak out. Now two things happen when the blood leaks out. Number one, the blood is not getting to where it needs to get. It's not arriving. And God forbid if the, if the circulation, if the blood is not enough blood reaching the brain or any important vital organ, uh, that can you know, be detrimental or, or, or uh, devastating to the human being or to, to the point where, God forbid, it can cause an end to life. That's number one. The second thing that happens is as the blood leaks out from its protective shield, from the pipe 
which God designated, what happens is all kinds of undesirable stuff start get access to that blood, and that is bacteria and germs, and they begin to feast on it, and they fester, and they feast, and that causes infection. And the physical mirrors and reflects the spiritual. Just like in the physical sense, a bruise, a punctuation in an organ does two things, weakens the, doesn't, stops the blood from flowing where it needs to, and delivers the blood to where it, where it shouldn't go. In the spiritual, it's the same thing. We as the Jewish people, have very, very important roles to play in this world. We are the conduits, we are the channels through where divine energy comes to the world. We are the 248 organs. We facilitate the 248 organs of God, which we attach to our organs, as we spoke earlier, through our 248 commandments. We merge with God's limbs and God's organs. So our hand and Hashem's hands become one. Our feet and God's feet become comes one. And that means that through us, is the channel of life, the channel of, of divine vitality to all of creation. But the, the life has to be protected. Now everybody in the world, all life and all creatures and all beings want, desire very much this energy that we, the Jewish people, possess within our soul. Why? Because this is the source of life. So that's why everybody, there is a strong a desire to get to the, to, to, the, to the energy that is within the Jewish people. Now, one of these forces that are out to get it are the spiritual forces of unholiness. They, are, they, they, they know that life comes from God, and they know that the only way they could increase their vitality is by stealing that energy from within the, the source, from, from, from one of these uh, uh, conduits from these towers through where the life flows from God, from these great cables, so to speak, of a Jew. And how does it do so? If the Jew sins, he's puncturing his soul, causing the flow of vitality to leak into outside of where it belongs, meaning he's investing his energy into negative things, so he's causing the increasement of the bacteria which means he's arming God's enemies, making it stronger, causing it to fester in the world. When a person realizes this horrific idea, one feels very ashamed of the fact that I've done a sin. I've done something to upset God. And that's why the fear of God, which means the understanding of the relationship, and the idea that I don't want to hurt Hashem, will bring a person and hold you back from sinning. And it's a different kind of observance. Because as we said earlier, you can observe and not sin and do what's right just out of habit. But when you have this awareness, this deeper understanding, then first of all, there is life in the refraining. There is an energy, there is a certain excitement in it. I'm not just not doing it, I'm not doing it. But besides from that, the person is very meticulous. And you're very cautious in your observance. Because for instance, you know, you know we all eat we eat kosher and we're not, not, and we say, well, I try not to eat non-kosher, right? And what happens when we hear that there is a new restaurant that opened up in town? Okay, let's find out, you know, it's a new restaurant, kosher, it's a kosher restaurant. So there's one level, okay, it's a kosher restaurant, you go eat. Another level is, okay, a kosher restaurant, who, who is the one who's in charge of the kashras of this establishment? So you look for the certificate. You find it's a reliable certificate, okay, so now I can eat go eat there without any questions. It's fine, because it has a certificate. And if you ask yourself the question, well, you ate in the restaurant on Tuesday, this new restaurant, you have no idea who the owner is, who is in charge, or whatever, but you know it has a certificate. What happens if you get a call on Wednesday in your office, and it's Mr. So-and-so, and he says, hello, I'm, uh, he says, Mr. Goldberg, I am uh, Mr. Greenberg from uh, the new restaurant that I opened up over there, and on the, this, uh, and, um, I, we, you know, as you know, it's every business it's hard to start, and you need um, uh, money and, and the like. Can you maybe loan me $10,000? And don't worry, I'll give it back to you in a half a year. I'll pay you back. So you say, oh, you know what? Yeah, he's got the heksher from the rabbi, and fine. So you say, just, you know what? Come to my office in, in, in a half an hour, and I'll give you the check. I don't think we would do it so quick. You want to know references. I have no idea who this person is. Who is he? Is he, is he reliable or not? But when it, yesterday, when it came to eating at the place, there was no question. It's kosher. There was a certificate. The thing is, 
if a person has the inner understanding of the, the, the serious consequence, consequence of eating something that's not kosher even by mistake, and that is giving life and energy to the forces of the unholy, then you make an inquiry. Then you really want to know, is it really, really kosher? Who, who is, is the person a reliable person? Or is there a mashgiach, is someone watching? So you're doing the, you're avoiding, uh, not just so that you can't, you can't be responsible. Oh, it's not my problem, it's the rabbi's problem. But God forbid if you ate something not kosher, what kind of terrible thing you've done to God? It's, it's frightening. That only comes from this deeper awareness. So one is meticulous. One has what we call Yirash Shamayim. And every single thing, it's not only in Kashras. I'm using Kashras as an example. It's in all areas. You are sure to learn the laws of Shabbos. And not just to know the general principles, but to know all the details. What is permitted, what is not permitted, what is called the violation of Shabbos. So it's energized. When there is Yirash Shamayim, there is a real observance. Or else it's a, a semi-observance. It's not a real observance. Now, when we have um, the, the, uh, both the love and the fear of Hashem, so we take our soul, our feelings, and we plant them in the mitzvah observance. The love is implanted in the positive mitzvahs. The fear is planted in the, the, uh, pro, the non, the avoidance of, 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 the, of uh, the non, the refraining from the uh, prohibitive commandments. What we have achieved and what we have accomplished is that we have enclosed our entire soul. Our intellect is invested and enclosed in Torah study and our emotions, every part of our emotions is enveloped in the performance of mitzvahs. What does that equal? That, that results in the person being enveloped completely in, 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 in the holy garments of thought, speech, and action you are enveloped in godliness. Now, if we examine, if we step back for a moment, and we say, okay, so now I understand and now I appreciate that the human being has two parts to himself. We have the inner human being, which are the, the intellect and the emotions, and then we have the garments. And the garments are offshoots, expressions. If I love God, I will do a godly thing. If I fear God, I will refrain from doing something that is upsetting to Hashem and the like. When we estimate or when we evaluate which one is more important, are the, what, is, what is on a higher level? Is the ten powers of the soul, the intellect and the emotions, the inner human being or the outer human being? So from just a superficial examination, we would reach the conclusion and say, being that the garments are just the expressions of the inner soul, the act of a mitzvah is just an expression. If it's done the right way, it's an expression of your love. So it's less than the love. Because we always know when you have a cause and an effect, the cause is stronger than the effect. The effect is weaker, it's less than the, than, than the cause. The same is also in a relationship. If you have um, love to someone, the main thing that counts is your love. Of course it's important to express that love because if you're not going to express the love of the person, it's not going to reach the other, it's not going to reach the other individual, so you have to express it. But what happens when you do express the love? And because you love someone, you go out and you buy them a gift. And as you deliver the gift, the gift falls on the floor and it cracks and it breaks. So it's frustrating, it's upsetting. But the recipient of the gift says it's okay, you know what? The main thing is the thought that counts. The fact that you demonstrated my, your love I see you love me, I see you care about me, if it didn't materialize because, because it's not important, that important, the action, it's the thought beyond the action, it's the feeling, you've conveyed your feeling to me. So again, without the expression of it, we don't know that it's there. But if you can prove that it's there, then which one is of more importance? It's the love that's more important than what you're doing for the love. That is, so we would think the same as with God too. It's not so important the performance of the mitzvahs as it is important what is generating that performance. Of course, we demonstrate it through the good deeds that we do, but that's secondary to the panemius, that the person, here you have a human being who has developed himself in loving God and in fearing God. However, by further ana uh, uh, analysis, we reach the conclusion, and this is an awesome idea that the Tanya says, and that is that it's really the opposite. 
the primary element is the performance of the mitzvahs, is the thought, speech, and action, and they are way, way superior than the, than the feelings and the thoughts which are generating those actions. The action, that's why we find even halachically, we know that the Torah puts all of its emphasis in observance on the actual observance. It's nice, it's highly, um, je- um, expect, it's, it's highly recommended, and it adds so much to the mitzvah. If you do the mitzvah with love and fear of God, as we spoke earlier, that the real way of doing a mitzvah, it's meant to be done with your entire being, with your passion, with your soul, with, the, with, with your fire of your, of your inner being. But if you, don't, if, if, if you have a mitzvah that's lacking that, it's still a mitzvah. But if a person has all the feelings and all the emotions and he doesn't do the mitzvah, doesn't literally do the act, it doesn't really, it's, it's nice, but a person has not fulfilled their obligation in this world. And what is the reason for that? The reason for that is because, true, generally garments are less than, than the person. There's the wearer of the garment and there are the garments. But in our case, in Torah Mitzvah, is different. Because the garments are made out of very awesome stuff. The garments of the Torah and the garments of the which serve as garments for our soul, means of expressing our love, these very garments are given to us by God. It was His ideas what we should dress ourselves in. But it's not only given to us by God. The garment itself is, is Hashem. The garment is God. The mitzvah is God. The Torah is God. So God is giving us Himself to cloak ourselves in Him. In this sense, the garment is infinitely higher than the wearer of the garment. Because the wearer of the garment is the soul. And the garment is God Himself. Because Hashem is the Torah. Hashem is the mitzvahs. Because the Torah is Hashem's wisdom. And as we mentioned from Maimonides at the beginning of these classes, that God is not a composite made up of many things. He and His wisdom are one. So the wisdom of Hashem is, is Him. His will, the same as also His will. The mitzvahs are God's will. They're His desires. And God and His desire, God and His will are one. So being that the mitzvah is Hashem's will, and the Torah is Hashem's wisdom, and when we think a thought of Torah, we're taking our mind, as holy as our mind is, it's not God. We're taking our mind and we're wrapping it, we're in, investing it, infusing it, dressing it with God Himself. We are doing a mitzvah, we're dressing our emotions of our soul with, in Hashem Himself, because the mitzvah is God. So we're going to say, well, how is it possible that the mitzvah is God? The mitzvah is a physical activity. The Torah that we're studying are it's holy Torah, but it's, it's the subject matter is dealing with all kinds of worldly things. Whether you can touch that on Shabbos or move that on Shabbos, or you can't move that on Shabbos. Whether you can plant this seed together with that seed. What is the size of a mikvah? What's a blemish that, makes the es- that disqualifies the esrog for use as on, 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 on sukkahs? Or uh, that, it is, that it's still kosher? These are all for a man and a woman come to the basin with a dispute. How is it going to be resolved? All these physical issues and, and aspects that the Torah deals with. How is this God? Okay, it's Hashem's instructions to life. But we're saying this is God itself. How does that work? And don't we know about God that Hashem, that there's no thought that can grasp it? So if God is ungraspable, if Hashem cannot be reached, and no one can know him, the brightest mind, the most sophisticated brain, and the most sublime intellect cannot know God, because he's not, he's unknowable. The same is also with his wisdom, because his wisdom is one with him. And the same is also with his, with his, with his desire, that it's, it's one with him. So it's all unknow- unknowable. So how is it possible to say that we grasp God's mind, we grasp his, his mitzvahs, his will? And the answer is, that is the miracle of Torah. That is the miracle of mitzvahs. And that is the infinite kindness of God. That God took His very self, His very unknowable self, and He brought Himself down to us. The sages say, in the place where you find great, God's greatness, 
In the place where you find God's greatness, that's where you find His humility. Simply it means that every, that many psukim where we find the, 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 the verse, the psalmist is, is, is exclaiming God's greatness, there is together with that showing Hashem's humility. The, the Hasidic interpretation of this, the deeper understanding of it is, in the same place where you find God's greatness, God takes His infinite greatness and with His humility, He brings that, that greatness down to us that we can connect to it. And what does that mean? God took a wisdom, His understanding, that is completely unknowable, condensed it into a formula, brought it down, brought it down and down and down to us, into our human realm. And he brought his wisdom into a realm of, 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 into a subject relating to things which to us appear like worldly elements, stories, happenings, laws, and, and, and simple human logic, but enveloped, enclosed, and codified, so to speak, into this, into, in these ideas and in this logic, lies the infinite wisdom of God. But it's in a formula, it's, in a, in, it's, in a, it's, in a, it's compressed in a manner in which we can understand it and we can grasp it. But in truth, hidden in this idea, it might be a very simple idea in, in, in any aspect of the Torah. Let's see, a story of, um, uh, or the mitzvah we're reading in the Torah this week about uh, giving a machtas a shekel, giving a half a coin. So we know what a half a coin is and how everybody that was 20 years old had to give this machtas a shekel and how it was done. And there's a whole laws called called and we can learn all the details of it. Now this very idea has a, <laughs> a divine wisdom to it. So we're reading it, we're reading about a coin. But in truth, what is it really talking about? Aside from the physical coin in our world, hidden in this, in this teaching, in these laws, is a higher truth. And hidden behind that higher idea, where the coin means something of a more spiritual nature, that very same coin has even a deeper meaning. And higher and higher and higher and higher and higher, until it's speaking about completely godly ideas, connected to various different godly attributes, which is alluded to in these coins that has to be given by a 20-year-old and the like. To a point where it's reaching and it's talking about things that only God knows and no one else will ever know it. No mystic, no saint, no greatest angel, and no soul in, in Gan Eden who's there already for thousands of years, who's already in the deepest levels of understanding, will never know it. Because only God will know that mitzvah as it means to him. But nevertheless, here's the beauty of it. When we are doing the mitzvah down here, we're not only alluding to these mystical spiritual things, we're actually capturing the light. We're capturing the death. It's there in the mitzvah. Because God gave us the Torah and mitzvahs in a manner of a zip drive. He zipped all of his infinite wisdom into a small, little, encrypted. You know, the, the idea is simple to us that we understand it, but encrypted in it is his infinite wisdom. And the reason why he did that is because he wants our minds to be able, he wants to give us an opportunity for us to attach ourselves to him and connect to him. Connect to him in our thoughts, connect to him in our speech, and connect to him in our actions. When we think Torah, we're making the connection. The connection is not only in our thoughts because we are conceiving and understanding a godly idea. God brought the, His wisdom down so low that it's not only in the realm of thought, it's translated also into speech. Which means even when a person is saying Torah, even if they're completely thoughtless, they don't even, they're not even thinking, they're thinking about something else, they are connecting to God because God is entered not only into the ideas that are in this, but he condensed himself into the very words itself, at least in Torah Shabbat Sav, in the written Torah. So when you're reading words, even if they're, you're reading Chumash, 
like you do, we're supposed to do Shnaya Mikra Vechot Targum, two times Chumash, and you're not thinking, your mind is elsewhere. You're reading the words, you are connecting to the infinite at that moment, because those words are holy words. And when a little boy says the comets Aleph is ah, those words are infinitely godly. It's endless. And it's interesting. In this process, when God brings his wisdom down through all the worlds, so there's a process. First he takes his unknowable wisdom and makes it applicable to a certain realm. The creatures of that world are learning the Torah, so to speak, and as they learn the Torah, the Torah is speaking about things that are familiar to them, in their realm. Then the Torah enters into the next realm, and it addresses the realities of the next world. And it's tangible to the creatures or the beings who live in that realm. But to, the, to a... If, if, if the Torah would be exposed from that level to a lower world, it would be completely um, misunderstood, because you wouldn't know what it's talking about. Then the Torah drops and comes into the next world, relating to the elements of that world. Finally, the Torah travels down, 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 until it vests itself in our physical reality, in the physical, in the physical world that we are in. Dealing with the very, very materials and physical, physical substances of the world that we can understand that we know what it's talking about. So it's completely relatable to us. But here is a very, very, very important idea. In this process of bringing the Torah down through the trillions of levels, lower and lower and lower, none of the potency and the depth and the richness of, of the infinite depth that God has in it is lost in this transmission. It comes down with its full, in, with its full light, with its full brightness, without any diminishment, even though it comes down in a physical formula. See, generally, if you would think like this, if there is a person who is a teacher, and he teaches a concept to a student, so the concept is very rich, it's deep, it's profound, it's bright, then the student goes and takes that which he studied, he or she studied, and passes it on to another student. And then that student gives this idea over to the next student. And it will be transmitted so a hundred, a hundred times. We all understand that the time it reaches the hundredth transmission, it's far, 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 far. It's only a faint glimmer of what the original, of what it was in the original form. Because in each translation and each transmission, it lost some of, its, some of its meaning, some of its depth. So it's only a shadow of what it once was. It's not so with the Torah. When the Torah came down to the world, the Torah came down as is. The very unknowable wisdom of God. The very unknowable will of Hashem that is unknown to any creature. That is concealed from the eyes of any being. That infinite wisdom was compressed, given to us down here with all of its light, with all of its depth, but in a relatable way that everybody can relate to it. Because the Torah is so simple. Certain parts of the Torah are complex and deep and only great scholars and, and, and mystics or, or uh, the Kabbalists that can study and understand it. But there's other parts of the Torah that are very, very simple. So it's in all the laws of the Torah, in all the Talmud, and in all the commentaries of the Talmud. Even in the stories of the Chumash. The story is not just a story of two physical human beings in this world, Avram and Sarah, that got married. It's the story of their life. And it definitely happened in the physical realm. But that contains within itself a deeper story, which has a deeper story beneath it, and an and it has endless meaning. Totally speaking about something completely divine, which we will never know what it means. It's God's wisdom. But it's embedded in what we are studying and what we're learning. So it's there in the stories. But here's the next stage. It's not only there in the story, which is the knowledge of the story. It comes down the holiness and the infinite wisdom of God contracts itself into the very ink that's on the parchment. That's why the ink itself is holy. The words, the Torah itself, the words, the physical words capture the light as is. There's holiness in the letters, in the words itself. That's not in the oral law. 
but in the in the in the uh, written law in the Torah Shabbat the kedusha came down in action. So we can connect to God. Every single Jew can connect because everybody can relate to Torah and mitzvahs, and we can connect with our inner garment, which our garment of thought. We can even connect with our garment of speech. And even our most external garments, which is the garment of action, and our physical bodies can enter into that relationship and touch the essence of God. That's the awesomeness of Torah mitzvahs. An opportunity to envelop ourselves, to dress ourselves in godliness. We can dress one part of our soul, or we can dress on our entire soul. If we learn all of the Torah, or we're always studying Torah, and we do all the applicable mitzvahs, then we are taking our entire soul and completely dressing ourselves in the infinite in Hashem Himself. We are becoming one with Him, enveloped in His light. That's why the Torah is just to bring, uh, the, he, he says the Torah is compared to water. Sages say, why is the Torah compared? Many, um, it says, Ho kal if someone is thirsty, go to water. The Navi is telling, if you're thirsty, go to water. It's kind of strange thing. If you're thirsty, then you need a prophet to tell you that. If you're very thirsty, go drink water. Okay. What the prophet is saying, so obviously it means allegorically. If you're thirsty for Torah, right? If you're thirsty for Torah, Mayim is Torah, go to the water, go learn Torah. Well, that's obviously also obvious. Good, so Mayim means Torah. If you're thirsty for Torah, go learn Torah. But according to what we're learning over here, we're saying something else. If you're thirsty for God, if your soul is burning with a desire to cleave and attach itself to God, the Navi is saying, there's only one place you can reach God. Lachulamayim, go to Torah. The Because the Torah is giving you God. Because in the Torah, God condensed His very self into the Torah and gave Himself to us. Vayikhuli, we just read. You want to take me, Teruma, take the Torah. Teruma is Torah Mem. The Torah that was given to 40 days, that's if the Zohar says, Vayikhuli, you take me. You want me, I'm giving myself to you. And I'm not leaving any part of me out of it. Everything, every aspect of me is coming into you. You're, you're grasping my, my entire being, God says. When you are studying Torah. And the analogy to water is, so the sages say, just like water always goes to a lowly place, so to the Torah will only come to someone that's humble. Someone who's arrogant and full of himself, the Torah cannot stick to a person that is arrogant. According to this, what we're learning now, the analogy to water is like this. When any entity comes from a high place to a low place, generally it loses some of it in the, in the descent. So let's say when you have light shining from high up from the sky, coming down, so some, as the light diffuses, it gets weaker and weaker, because it's less, and in its source, it's much stronger. But when you take water, and you pour the water down the mountain, there's no change in the water. The very same water that was at the tippy top, comes down, 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 and comes down to the bottom. That's the power of the Torah. The very same Torah, the Torah that God Himself studies, in its complete unknowable state, that very, very same Torah was given to us. God gave us His Torah, His unknowable Torah, and made it applicable, made it available to us to study. And that's why that's what we should be doing all day long. There's nothing else as, as awesome as being able to sit and fill your mind up with God's, with God's wisdom. That's why King David says, two, two verses. He says, Hashem, you are tsuri, you are my rock. Ech sebo, I shield myself in you. And the other verse that he says is, Katsina rotsain ta'atreno. Katsina means like a shield. Rotsain, God's will, ta'atreno, crowns and encircles the person. Just like a shield is like a, 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 a body armor that you dress to protect yourself, so too the Torah and the mitzvahs is something that is envelops and surrounds and encloses the soul completely from head to toe, completely encircled by God. That's why the sages also tell us that 
the performance of a mitzvah is greater than all the reward to, to, of the world to come. It is better one hour of mitzvah observance in this world than all of the world to come. Because the world to come and Ganeiden, as immense and as awesome that the pleasure in Ganeiden is, that pleasure is only the pleasure of knowing Hashem, knowing God. And creation, a created being, no matter how high he is, cannot know God. So the only thing we can know of God is a tiny little glimmer of his light, a little ray of his light. That is what is the pleasure, the delight of Ganeiden. However, when a person is doing a mitzvah in this world, they are connecting not to a glimmer of God, but to God's very, very self. So one mitzvah in this world equals infinitely more than all of the bliss and all the ecstasy, which is unbelievable in the world to come as we build the Ezra Hashem discuss in the following week. Everybody should have a wonderful week and only bracha.